The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Lower the gospel according to Luke. Um, we are preaching through the gospel according to Luke, and uh, we are in the middle of chapter 11 now. Uh, the Q&A number up there in the front that, um, let's see, we, there we go. If you have questions, the way we kind of do this as a church We've, we've worked through a book of the Bible. We'll preach and talk about what's going on in that book at, at, uh, through it. And then in our sermons, you're more than welcome to ask questions and say, hey, I don't understand what you said here. Can you say more about this? I didn't understand that. Disagree. That's fine. You can do that either through texting. You can raise your hand after the sermon. It's very kind of, I want to honor the time that you're giving by listening to a sermon and helping us understand the Bible together better. So that's why that number's there, that all the those texts come to my number or my phone here, and that'll be on the bottom of all the slides as we work through this. All right, so here we go. I'm going to pick us up in Luke 11, verse 14, and we are in a very tricky or startling passage, depending on how you experience this. Here we are. Jesus has just finished talking about motivation for prayer, right? And Luke, at the very beginning of the gospel, Luke uh, chapter 11, he talks about the Lord's Prayer. Our um, Father, hallowed be your name, that prayer. We'll be revisiting that as we go through this passage. But here we are, verse 14. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, that's Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, who, how will his kingdom stand? For I say that I cast out demons by, I'm sorry, for you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace. His goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divided his spoil and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. When it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb who bore you, and the breast by which you nursed. And he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Father, as we try to understand this passage, it can feel very confusing and startling. So we ask in the midst of this, which feels very 
aggressive from Jesus, that we would hear his peaceful heart for us. We would feel his newness of life for us. And that we would follow him in experiencing what it means to be made new in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I will say, this passage is very strange, kind of to, especially to modern ears. Um, in a certain sense, uh, it reminds me of why I do not like horror movies, and why I specifically do not like horror movies that deal with demons or spirits or exorcisms or anything like that. It um, it feels a little like uh, I can watch horror movies with monsters, and it's like, okay, like that's fine. The spirit stuff, I'm kind of like, eh, feels a little too close to home, a little too real. Don't makes me feel a little queasy, not quite like I'm not playing around with this. This isn't something you laugh off. It's kind of scary. And I think um, it's because there's something about kind of like this dark power stuff that really just kind of weirds us out and we don't really understand. And then we come to a passage like this, which I will say, it is a very startling change in the book of Luke, right? We go from Jesus talking about, here's why you should pray, because your God is your Father who cares about you. Also, uh, this demon stuff. It feels like you kind of go from like a worship service and you walk out of the hallway and you go into like an exorcist con you know, conference where you're like, these guys are talking in a language I don't understand. They're talking about things that are kind of scary. So let me just kind of give a little bit of some context here for what Jesus, is, the categories of Jesus is talking about. But I want you to hear this. I don't think that the main point of this passage is really for us to get into like the ins and outs of demonology and like what the Bible thinks about demons and all that stuff. I think that's all like surface level stuff. I think Jesus is dealing at a deeper level. So in the Bible, there's generally kind of four categories of the ways in which dark powers get divided up. You have Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, where you have the Satan figure shows up. We all, I, generally, we're kind of familiar with this idea. The snake tempts Adam and Eve. They fall things go badly, right? That's the general idea of Genesis 2. You have Genesis 6, so that's one category. Genesis 6, you have the Nephilim and all that stuff, and then the flood that comes after that. That's a second category, generally understood to be like big, you know, bad guys. Those guys end up showing up uh, through the New throughout the kind of Old Testament as like major kingdoms that the Old Testament people are trying to destroy or they're alluded to. Um, later, Genesis 11 has this whole, like, the Tower of Babel. There, De Deuteronomy 32 has this picture of God kind of distributing the nations to different um, spiritual beings, kind of handing them over. That's why in Acts 2 it talks about God handing them over to the nations to be kind of led astray. There's some sort of rebellion that happens there that's not really clear in the Old Testament. And then you have the fourth category, which the Jews at Jesus' time would have understood to be demons. Demons were the disembodied spirits of the people of the Nephilim from Genesis 6. I know there's kind of like, you don't have to agree with all that, but that's kind of generally how the categories break down. So when we're talking about demons, that's kind of who Jesus is engaging with. Um, you have, for example, in Second Peter, Second Peter, it talks about how some angels are kept in chains and some aren't. So clearly these are demons that aren't kept in chains that are harassing people. Here's the thing. 
regardless of what you think about those four categories, again, you don't have to agree with that. Generally, it's understood. The way demons work, what do they do? Demons generally destroy. They generally lie. They scheme. They exploit. They snare. They blind. They slander. They're generally understood to be things, dark powers that oppress and suppress our humanity. So that's why the passage talks about um, releasing this this demonic power that was making this person mute, right? That's not to say every person who is mute has a demon. That's not to say that every person who's blind has a demon. In this context, this demon was causing some sort of muteness with this person. They were, it was suppressing, pushing down their humanity in a certain way. And Jesus comes in, I think this is what the passage is about, to liberate not only this person, but his kingdom, the function of his kingdom, what he's doing when he shows up on the scene is to reawaken, to relive or to bring alive our humanity, right? So the context in this passage to me seems to say demons and dark powers oppress our humanity. And Jesus is taking up this whole argument of can I, will I, with all this powers of dark powers to say, right, I can and I will because my kingdom is about making people new. That's kind of what he's he's swinging at. So I'm just trying to clarify I really do not want to get into like the whole like the demons and what do they do, what are their functions, all that stuff. Like not only is that weird, but it's kind of like it's above my pay grade. You know? I think what Jesus is doing here is he's coming in and saying, Okay, in a neg in kind of like a photo negative, by the way, I realize that is such an old term, photo negative. In the old days, for all you people under thirty, we used to take pictures. And then we would take the film, and it was the opposite of what the picture was. We'd go and get it developed, and then we'd see what the picture really was. So, photo negative, that's what's going on here in this passage to help us see the clarity of what Jesus is talking about. So, let me just say, the main point of this passage, Jesus' power liberates us in the life-giving humanity. I think that's what Jesus is swinging at here. All right. I want to pick up here in verse 14. We're going to kind of lead, read this big block. And we're going to look at this first category, Jesus' kingdom rehumanizing. And I realize there's a lot in here that I might kind of skip over. So if you have questions, you can kind of, um, you can certainly Q&A me. I, I will say, uh, there, are, even though I spent this week studying this passage and have studied these types of passages for a while, there are still things in this passage where I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Doing my best. So, verse 14 to 23. Now, he, that's Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon was gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them, right, this is the thing that's always incredible to me, right? Here is somebody who, for the first time in potentially years, is, like, experiencing this renewal and everybody's kind of like, hmm, I don't know. What is the reason going on here? Like, they're just kind of second-guessing, trying to delve into the details rather than celebrating what this man is experiencing. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others that test him kept seeking him, from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, right? So here's Jesus. This is the thing. He knows what they're thinking, but he goes deeper than what they're saying. Knowing their thoughts... 
said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided and a divided household falls, right? If you're any familiar with American history, you're going to recognize uh, Abraham Lincoln also said that. Jesus said it first, just to be clear. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Um, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, right? So Beelzebub, just to clarify, was understood to be a prince of demons. I'm not sure if that's another term for Satan or not. Important guy, seems kind of important in this context. But whom your son, but if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, he guards his goods or safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So here's the logic of the passage. Basically, Jesus starts out by saying, look, Satan doesn't cast out demons because they're both committed to oppressing people. So why would Satan want to not oppress people? So Demonic powers are committed to oppressing people. Secondly, Jesus calls their bluff in verse 19 and says, um, your sons, he's talking about kind of like these exorcists in Israel, they cast out demons too. So if they're casting out demons and I'm casting out demons, why can they do it in God's name and not me? Right? He's kind of calling their bluff on that, calling their hypocrisy. And then verse 20, God's power, he's, verse 20 he says, but if the finger of God, I'm sorry, but if it is by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's connecting here. If God shows up and the finger of God comes to cast out demonic power, it's not just God doing a magic show. It's God showing up for his kingdom to liberate other people, to liberate people. Just to clarify one thing here, the finger of God, I don't know if that phrase sticks out to you, but it's actually a, a reference to Exodus 8, where if you have, remember the Exodus story, right? God's people are enslaved. They're enslaved to Pharaoh, the Egyptian gods, and God shows up and he starts doing, you know, you have the 10 plagues. The first few, the Egyptian, uh, Egyptian magicians are able to kind of like mimic, like a bad sideshow, but they're able to mimic it. But then this, the, the judgments of God, the ten plagues, they get so severe that even the, this is a line from uh, Pharaoh's magicians, the finger of God is what they call it. The finger of God has showed up and we can't match this. So when Jesus uses that phrase here, he is using a phrase that's pregnant with this reality of it's not just God showing up and kind of like, you know, abracadabra, getting people saved from demons. It is, a, it is a term that shows from the, from the Exodus story, God shows up to bring his people up out of slavery into newness of life. So then Jesus drops into this story. Remember the story? I, can, I, I did put a little bit of uh, illustration together that I thought might help us kind of capture. Please forgive me if this offends you. Can we put this next slide up here? When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe, right? 
No, 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 no. Go back, go back. I just want to. Here's Koopa on top of his kingdom that he has established. Now, in this parable, the palace is the person. The, the demonic power or the, the spirit of darkness, understandable, is Koopa, right? We all know Koopa's a bad guy. Okay, so here we go. Next slide now. But when one stronger than him attacks him, it overcomes him, right? We, if you ever, if you know that video games exist, you know that Mario has to beat Koopa. We're going to skip past that. Mario has beat Koopa. There he is on the side. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil, right? All of Mario's little friends all benefit from Mario releasing that, that palace to give to the, to the neighborhood, so to speak. Okay, so that we're not distracted by that. Can we put that back? We go back to the slide before. There we go. What I'm trying to capture here is that what Jesus tells in this story is there's, a, there's somebody who owns a, a house. It's got all this stuff in it. He's protecting it. A stronger person shows up, defeats him, and releases his stuff. That's actually basically Jesus retelling the Exodus story. Pharaoh sits over God's people. He owns their stuff and is oppressing them. The, Exodus, the book of Exodus is basically saying God shows up, kicks the spirit out, and releases his people to flourish in new life in him. Like that's the Exodus story. So when Jesus says the finger of God and the kingdom of God has come upon you, he's, I, he's saying, if you're with me, I come in and release you into newness of life so that you experience a flourishing newness, a, a goodness of what it means to be human with me. And I want to point out something here at the end of his little parable. This parable would have triggered for the people at the time a very real dynamic. Roman Empire, the way it functioned was basically Roman Empire comes in, they set up one guy who's in charge, he schemes and steals and basically exploits the local population, gets their stuff into his house, he's got his own Roman guard to protect it, and he exploits and suppresses and oppresses the people around him. And Jesus is saying, using that illustration, right, taxation, all that type of stuff that usually, that's used to exploit the people around them, he says, um, verse 22, but when the one stronger than him attacks him, he overcomes him, right? So he gets rid of the demonic power or the oppressive power. He takes away his armor in which he trusted. And then this little phrase, he divides his spoil. So all the people that would have been hearing this, they would have been hearing those Roman guys had stolen, exploited, oppressed me, and taken my hard-earned wheat or hard-earned cattle or hard-earned stuff, and they've taken it away. And then Jesus says, the way my kingdom works is that when my liberation renews somebody, it restores what's been stolen gives back. That's a pretty radical expression here in this phrase. I mean, if you're in the old in the old days, that would have been like this this is almost kind of like seditious or riotous language to say the Romans are exploiting you and the kingdom of God loves to redistribute all that stuff. Now I'm not getting into the politics of that. I'm just saying as an image of what it means for our humanity, 
Jesus is saying, I want to restore you in a way that the community around you is, is benefiting and healed by your renewal. So you see that, that renewal that we experience has a community effect. That's kind of the, the, the sweep of this parable. So let me just give a few thoughts here. I think the category of what we what Jesus is engaging with here, powers of darkness, dark stuff, it oppresses and pushes down our humanity. Now, we can all experience that in multiple contexts. Work, where there's a toxic environment, that can happen in church, where there's a toxic environment. Jesus wants his kingdom to be a type of place where you feel like a fresh breath man, I enjoy being a person that God loves. That's what he wants his kingdom to be like. It's a place that is expansive. It's renewing. It's it's a sense of like, I want to be a part of something that brings peace to not only me, but to the people around me. You notice that, that, that community sweep of divides the spoil. To me, that image it speaks to other people benefit from me feeling happy that God loves me. I feel like in this passage, you have this tense energy of the strong, the first kind of character, the Cooper character from our picture, trying to like maintain its kingdom. And then you have this life-giving energy from Jesus that wants to give back, divide the spoils. Then verse 23, just to not pass over this. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I want to say, to me, when I read this, I do not hear this as, if you're not a Christian, you're against me. To me, if you have this, con- this, this idea of Jesus is trying to liberate people to experience newness of life, whoever is a, a part of that liberation work, to, to free people from oppression is joining what Jesus is doing. That doesn't mean they're a part of his kingdom or they're a part of his family, but that does mean that they are a part of his broad work. And those who are seeking to consolidate, bring under control, oppress other people are against Jesus' broad work. At least that's how I read it. But I do want to ask, when you think about what it means to be you and to be relaxed. Somebody who's happy to be alive in Jesus. Where do you yearn to feel renewed? Where do you yearn to feel happy in your own skin? Where do you yearn to feel, I'm glad that I am a human and not a dog. I'm glad that I'm a human made in the image of God that he made. And then I want to put up the the Lord's Prayer here. Now, we'll revisit this as we kind of work through the rest of the passage. And he taught us to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. I wonder, when we pray that, if we also include in that, that way that Jesus wants to shape our imagination, the way his kingdom values us and the things that he wants to renew us in. How does he want us to experience what it means to be liberated, to be free in it? 
That's a part of his kingdom. Each day we need his care. We need his forgiveness of sins. Lead us not into temptation. So, let's turn to 24. We're going to kind of work through the rest of this passage here. Talking about Jesus' kingdom that rehumanizes us. 24 to 26, we're going to just kind of look quickly at Jesus' kingdom that equips us. Verse 24. That when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. Finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, even more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state is the person is worse than the first. Now, I will say, this is a very odd paragraph. I've read the Bible for years, decades, whatever. And it's still, I come to this passage and I'm just kind of like, Jesus, you lost me. Like, what, what is going on here? There's a few kind of clues to here that I, I think help us kind of understand a little bit of what's going on for Jesus. First is waterless places. Like, what is that? Generally, in the, the time and kind of the thinking of the Bible, um, demonic spirits because they destroy and eat up life and all that stuff, they belong in the desert places. Now, this is a place that would have had desert spaces within a few days' journey or immediately around them. So they would have understood kind of this this arid space. But more importantly, in Jewish thinking, you have the annual atonement once a year, and you have a sacrificial lamb that you kill here, and you have a goat that you put, you lay your hands on, you put the um, sins of the people on, and you send it out to the desert. Basically, uh, from Leviticus 16, the thinking being, our sins belong to the darkness of this world, and God graciously allows us to transfer those and send them back to where they belong, right? Demonic powers love sin, so let's just give our sins to this goat. The goat goes out to the demonic powers. That's in the desert. Basically, deserts are the, the place of like where demons live. It's kind of the idea here. That still does not, to me, quite, I don't, understand the mechanics of one goes out of the house the house gets cleaned seven eight come back you're like why i think the key here is that um it says there verse 25 and when it comes back it finds the house swept and put in order i think what jesus is getting at here is the house may be swept or the soul the soul of a person may be kind of put in order but you'll notice it's not living in a community-oriented or a being used in a hospitality-type way. Like the, the image from the strongman parable, the, par- the spoils are divided, right? There's a community engagement. People are interacting. Here it seems like you've just been cleaned out but not functioning. I think that's kind of the, the, that's the hinge here because he's just critiqued them and said, your, your exorcist can get rid of demons, but there's something wrong there. And I think what's wrong for Jesus is they, they clean people out from the demons, but they don't help them live in the kingdom. They don't live in a way that follows Jesus, in a way that walks in God's way. I think that's the idea here. Otherwise, I don't really understand what's going on. If you've got a better reading of this, please tell me. But I think that that's kind of in the range of Jesus says, my kingdom isn't about just kind of getting rid of the bad stuff. It's not only just becoming new in me. It's actually living that out with other people around you. Living that out with the people around you, 
in your house, in your neighborhood, in your town. I think that's what Jesus has got going on here. Which reminds us, right, Jesus has equipped us. Going into this passage, I'm just trying to, always trying to connect the dots of how these paragraphs go together. Luke 11, 1 through 13, he says, here's how you pray, right? That's a tool, and it, it equips us. And then he goes into talking about all these dark powers and what they do to kind of suppress us. And he says, basically, you guys aren't equipping anybody with how to live in the kingdom like I just did with the Lord's Prayer. I think that's kind of the way this works. And you see this in the rest of the New Testament. We have, can, can I throw up Colossians 1 here real quick? Colossians 1 has this statement. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved Son, and who have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That kind of seems like it's pulling from some of these categories from Luke 11, right? You have the demonic kingdom, you have Jesus' kingdom, what it means to follow Jesus. And then he later, he celebrates who Jesus is, and then he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, right, that's the kingdom of darkness, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right, so here's this, equipping, helping you follow him. He's prepared ways for you to be you as you follow Jesus that he's equipping you to do. So, I will say this is why, for example, I'm really grateful Aaron is here. Aaron and I, Aaron being the primary lead on this, we worked on the daily office over the last year to print that up. Again, this isn't a self-promo thing, but it's just to say the reason that we did that is because I find prayer hard. I find doing what Jesus says at the beginning of Luke 11 hard. Just personality, stage of life, whatever. It's a tool to help equip us to live in the kingdom of Jesus. Right? It's why we have small groups. It's not just group cohesion and we all like each other. It's because each of us has our own story with Jesus that we have questions with, we wrestle with, we struggle with, we have joys with. We need other Christians to walk beside us. We don't need other Christians to have all the answers. We just need the other Christians to help remind us, hey, I don't know what's going on with this, but we're, wa- we're walking with Jesus together, right? Trying to do that with Jesus. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we have spiritual formation stuff. That's why, for example, we think not only is it just, it's, it's right to say love your neighbors, but to give us concrete ways to express loving our neighbors, whether that's doing gifts for our public school teachers or doing the hope rally or all these little things that we do through the year we're trying to equip us to live out what it means to be in the kingdom so i want to return to the lord's prayer with that in mind being equipped father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread i wonder in that daily bread is not merely food, which is true, but also I need you to help me with what I need to to follow you. Whether it's truth, comfort, support, care, tools, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus has provided a way to be equipped. And that equipment 
comes to us in part. Okay. I want to end with verse 27, 28. Jesus' kingdom not only equips us, but it empowers us. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the wound that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, I will say, first things first, in terms of the logic of the book of Luke, Mary is blessed as being a part of, she is the one, the virgin who conceived Jesus and, and birthed him. But she's blessed because she believed in what God promised, not just because of her function in the history of redemption, right? There's nothing unique about her per se, apart from the fact that God's grace enabled her to have the faith to follow and obey God. So you could read this and be like, is Jesus dissing what God said about what Mary and Luke wanted? I don't think so. I will say, I'm not quite sure exactly why Luke then butts up this passage next to the one before and the one after. I think, again, I feel like I'm kind of stretching and trying to understand what's going on in this passage. Here's my take. I think Jesus has just had a high-class academic debate with people about demons. And we can read that and be kind of like, yo, I don't know what's going on with this. What's going on? Jesus is wicked smart, and I'm just kind of this regular person down here trying to understand. And I, I mean, I'm team Jesus, so of course I'm going to agree with him. But I'm not sure I really understand what he's saying. I think Jesus or Luke has put this here as a way to say, even though Jesus can engage with that type of high argument stuff, think deeply about things, he's not asking you to do that. What he's asking you to do is to hear his word and follow him. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. For example, like Luke 6, where Jesus has just taught us five chapters ago, four chapters ago, how to love our enemies, how to care for those that persecute us, how to love those who are hard to love, what it means to express God's love to the people around us, how to pray like he's just taught us in Luke 11. I think those things are accessible for us. I don't think all of us need to walk out of the room. I understand demons now. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is, I think, how are you empowered by God's word to help other people to be empowered by God's presence. This is my best attempt, I think, to understand what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is engaging with the demonic powers, but amidst all of that, he's using it as a photo negative for us to see that in him, he is not oppressing us. He is not using us. He is not needing anything from us. He comes to us in the midst of our sin and weakness, and graciously and eagerly wants us to be a part of what he is and what he's doing. So his kingdom comes near to us to restore our humanity, to renew us, to equip us and empower us to enjoy him and follow him. Let's pray, and then we'll turn to questions. God, as we've tried to understand this passage, I pray that you would help us to experience Jesus, to be liberated in him, and to experience what it means to be made whole because he is new. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you 
for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.